Good morning. Today at the culmination of our series, Epic, the journey from insignificant to magnificent, we come finally to Elijah. You know about him? You need to. His story as, as prophet of Israel truly is epic. So much so that even hundreds of years after Elijah lived, when John the Baptist appeared on the scene, people were still so taken with Elijah that they said John was Elijah. It was the only thing that made sense. Some actually also thought that Jesus was Elijah. That's how famous Elijah was for Israel. Jesus himself even seemed to suggest that John the Baptist was a type of Elijah who is to come. Those are the words from um, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. The, the, the one who was promised to introduce the Messiah. Very last words of our Old Testament in Malachi. So why was Elijah so famous? Well, there was this amazing showdown on Mount Carmel. You really need to know about this. I've been on Mount Carmel and had the privilege of being able to read the whole story to the group, our tour group. Somebody said, somebody, you know, read the story of Elijah, and I volunteered. So I, I read the whole story. We're standing on top of this mountain and looking down the valley below. And this story is, is incredible. If you can imagine that there, there's an evil king, Ahab, and Elijah told the evil king to assemble the whole nation of Israel, complete with the, the king's prophets of Baal. Baal was the false god that they had chosen to, to worship. So 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, the religious leaders who attended the queen, Jezebel. So there's a king and a queen. They're both evil. In fact, the name Jezebel has become, as we know it, a, a name for a, an evil female. So Ahab, the king, the, Israel's king, had, had led the people completely away from the God of Israel, Yahweh. And as a consequence of their disobedience, there had been a drought for three years. No rain for three years. Elijah predicted this would happen, and it did. And finally, things came to a head between Yahweh and Baal. So if you can picture this, there's two altars, one over here and one over here. This one over here is the altar to Baal, and it's been used a lot. You know, they sacrificed animals on it, so there's a lot of footprints around it. It's all, the stones are all arranged really nicely. There's blood stains on it, obviously, because they're, they're sacrificing animals on it. This is what they did in the Old Testament. And over here, there's a prophet to Yahweh. It's just a pile of stones because they're not using it. It's broken down. So, Elijah says, here's the challenge. 
we will each pray to our gods. He said gods, small g, but when he's talking about his God, it's capital G, right? We'll pray to our gods, and the one who shows up with fire to consume the offering of the cattle wins. So there's the challenge. So the prophets of Baal agreed. They said, oh, you have spoken this well. So they began putting their offering together. They put a bowl on the altar. They all gathered around. They all started praying with loud cries and screaming, actually, Baal, answer us! Nothing happened. Silence. Elijah is in true form as the prophet of God. He actually starts to mock them. Cry louder. Maybe your God is off meditating somewhere. Or maybe he's busy with a project. Or, or maybe he's on vacation. Or maybe he's overslept. You know? So they cry louder. Baal, answer us. They even started cutting themselves with sharp objects. Nothing. Silence. Finally, Elijah told them, enough. And he invited everyone to gather around the Lord's altar, which he was slowly rebuilding and, and putting it all back together. So the Lord's altar is now kind of shiny and new. And he prepared for the showdown. In fact, what he did was this. This is really interesting. He had, he had water poured on the altar. So there's, if you can imagine, the altar is there. There's wood. There's everything. There's rocks. There's dirt. There's the offering on top of the, you know, this dead animal on top of the altar. And then he has water poured on top of it three times. Buckets of water. So it's running down. There's a big trench around the altar and there's just water everywhere. Then, Elijah lifted up his voice and said, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and what I am doing, I'm doing under your orders. Answer me, O God, answer me and reveal to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you're giving these people another chance at repentance. Immediately, fire fell from heaven and completely consumed the altar, the animal, the wood, the rocks, the dirt, and all the water, gone. Whew. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing you can say other than, wow. Then, Elijah ordered the false prophets seized and executed, which happened. 
To be honest, I could have done without that part. When people, when even the good guys decide to kill religious leaders, that's the kind of thing that tends to turn on you quickly. But it happened. Then Elijah predicted an end to the drought, which also happened. However, word came that Queen Jezebel was hopping mad and she threatened Elijah's life with the same fate as the recently executed prophets. Ah, there it is. <laughs> For some unknown reason, when Jezebel made this threat, it was really hard for Elijah. It was really difficult for him to hear that. And he took off running. He ran for his life, ran away. Eventually, he found himself alone in a cave, as described in the text that we just heard from chapter 19. He's by himself in a cave. So this is really odd. Here's the mighty prophet of Yahweh. I'm not sure that we've ever seen a prophet in the Old Testament who has as much chutzpah as Elijah. The way he handled that whole thing, the showdown on Mount Carmel, amazing. He has just led the most successful dramatic, prophetic campaign in Old Testament history. And now he's hiding in a cave, showing all the signs of clinical depression. In the words of one commentator, he appears totally spent, fatigued, sleeping a lot. He complains. He's suicidal. He needs to be told to eat. His view of reality seems to be compromised. He's tending to blame other people for the situation he's in. He feels alone. Basically, at this point in his life, Elijah is his own worst enemy. Before we go on this morning, I have a question. Have you ever experienced any of these conditions? Extreme fatigue? Discouragement? Inability to know or to see your situation for what it really is? Maybe wondering if you're burned out? Maybe wondering if you're going crazy? Maybe you feel that way right now. Perhaps you feel as if you are your own worst enemy. If so, I hope you can pay attention to what I'm going to say next. I think it's really important. Given Elijah's attitude here, saying, I'm the only one left, God. I've been zealous for you. Now just look at me. I give up. Given this attitude and given what he's saying, you might expect God 
to rebuke him. You might expect God to have harsh words for him. To really tell him off. But no. Instead, God gives Elijah a series of epiphanies. He shows Elijah something new. Did you hear that in verses 15 through 18 of what Dan just read? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to crown this guy king and this one, and Elijah's going to take care of this, and this is what's going to happen in the future. Folks, it's no sin to be discouraged. If you find yourself in a dark place, know this. God wants to be there with you. I want us to notice today that though Elijah was remembered as being a hero, he was also someone who very likely struggled with what today we would call mental illness. But God did not come down hard on him, but rather came to him in a quiet, loving way and simply asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What a lovely question. What are you doing here? And what was behind that question was this. There's more for you in the future. You know what they call that? That's right. Hope. You can have hope. If you're down or depressed, stressed or tired, or if you just feel really alone, God has an epiphany for you. There are good things ahead. Hang in there. It will become clear as you take the next step. Without sharing too much this morning, I, I wanna give testimony today to the reality of this in my own life. It's amazing to me how the best, most successful, and see me putting quotes around successful, the most successful moments in my own life and ministry are invariably followed by dark days. It's just the way it works. Over and over again, and I've been at this now for about 40 years, I have found that the secret is not some kind of self-help trick when I get to that place in my life. It's not even a special prayer. But rather, just taking one step. Just keep going. It gets better. Don't stop. I hope this helps someone today. The truth is that someday people may remember you as a hero. Really. As they did Elijah. Elijah was just this amazing hero for Israel. They loved Elijah. 
Perspective is a strange thing, and it's easy to lose it. Some people say that this is actually one of the definitions of mental illness, when you, when you, when you lose your perspective. And when you have perspective, then you're mentally healthy. I, I believe that mental health is not a prerequisite to being a part of what God is doing in the world. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, it helps. <laughs> and we have a responsibility to care for ourselves and for others in terms of our emotional health. There's, we have a responsibility for that. The same way we care for our physical bodies, and we care for the health of others. Having said that, those who struggle with mental illness are not beyond the pale when it comes to being used by God in epic ways. If they were, we probably wouldn't even have heard of several of our most famous Hebrew prophets. <laughs> have you ever read Hosea? <laughs> he married a prostitute. And then he named his children, get this, unloved, my, this is my child, unloved. And the other one, not my people. Who does that? <laughs> right? Ezekiel. Ezekiel lay, laid on his side for 390 days. And Daniel. Daniel stopped eating delicious food. Who does that? <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm even tempted to think that sometimes it helps to be a little crazy because what God is doing may not make sense to sensible people. But is God really looking for sensible people to be a part of his epic plan? I don't think so. I think he wants ordinary people who are willing to say yes to what he's doing, even if it seems a little crazy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.